Oh, we're in for a long one. A long weekend, that is. And you deserve to spend it on the couch with a glass of something good. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered quickly. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Hi, this is Glenn Wexler, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. You are simply the best, better than all the rest, better than anyone, anyone I've ever met, diggers. Why? Well, <laughs> because this is our 100th episode, friends. Uh, so I got to start with little Tina Turner. And of course, uh, I couldn't have done it without all of you. So, hey, you're simply the best. It's just that simple. <laughs> no business today, except to say, find everything at pantheonpodcast.com. Uh, send tweets if you'd like, post on Facebook. Uh, you can uh, message me uh, directly. Uh, my Twitter account is at Swain underscore Christian. So there you have it. All right. Um, first, l- let me say that when, when I interviewed Gary Wright in October of 2016, I had never interviewed anybody in my life. Um, but I, I thought I knew basically what to do, uh, you know, research the hell out of the subject and try to ask good questions. Um, sounds easy enough. Uh, and, and I, I think I did pretty good, uh, for never having done it uh, before, but I'll tell you, I've learned a lot in the previous 99 episodes. Um, and it's just kind of built from there. Um, I, um, I, I, I just, I think this is a privilege and it's been fantastic getting to speak to all these people, uh, and, um, and present it to, to you guys, uh, out there. So first let, let me thank all the guests, um, I've had in the first 99 shows, um, starting with Gary Wright and, and then the, the Hillbenders, uh, guitarist, Jimmy Blue, author, Chris Foreman, immigration attorney, Leon Wilds, the cast of Million Dollar Quartet, uh, the late, great Peggy Young, uh, my friend, uh, journalist, Jeff Slate, Wavy Gravy, uh, guitarist, Lawrence Juber, professor, Charles Hughes, director, Amir Barlev, bassist, Tony Levin. Beach Boy archivists Mark Lynette and Alan Boyd, author Mike Morsh, uh, director Rachel Klein or Richard Lloyd of television, inventor Bob Heil, author Bill Bentley, drummer Omar Hakim, director Michelle Kath Sinclair, um, the late, great Hal Blaine, uh, author David Yaffe, uh, the people at NAM, uh, author uh, Ray uh, Wozniak, um, John Kosh, um, PR man Tony McLeedy's photographer Mick Rock, BTO, 
uh, and the guess who's Randy Bachman uh, twice, uh, journalist and author Robert Hilburn, uh, entrepreneur Amit Zappa, journalist and author Joel Selvin, uh, saxophone is Mindy Abair, uh, airplane and hot tuna guitarist Yorma Kalkinen, um, guitarist Wayne Kramer, author Stephen Hyden, Judas Priest, guitarist K.K. Downing, Alice Cooper's bassist Dennis Dunaway, um, my friends and fellow podcasters Sonny Pooney and Stephen Michael, guitarist Dave Davies of The Kinks. Uh, industry guru Bob Lefsetz, author Adrian Hart, producer Shelly Yakis, uh, producer John Simon, author Saul Austerlitz, author Meredith Oaks, Ed Journey from the Band of Heathens, author Mark Blake, author Andrew Grant Jackson, drummer Hunt Sales, author and ex-Apple Corps president Ken Mansfield, uh, Chris D. of the Flesh Eaters, author and photographer Julian David Stone, music technologist and drummer David Frangioni, author and new Pantheon host Brian Reisman, doo-wop man Al Contrera, godfather of alt-rock Tyson Mead, author Ian Winwood, author Jesse Jarnow, uh, the sweet as ever Maria Muldor, Author J. Marshall Craig, author Ryan Walsh, author G.D. Pretorius, author David Brown, author and new Pantheon host Martin Popoff, author and hip-hop mogul Chris Schwartz, directors Molly Bernstein and Philip Dolan, songwriter Chip Taylor, producer Mark Howard, author Professor Evelyn McDonald. Uh, executive Danny Goldberg, author Christopher McKittrick, author and drummer Will Birch, engineer producer Toby Scott, CEO of the Neil Young Archives, Phil Baker, author Howard Soons, podcast host Jake Brennan, singer Liv Warfield, Pantheon podcast host Ty Listen, author and publicist Dennis McNally, uh, to many uh, vocations to mention <laughs> Michael Nesmith author Holly George Warren photographers Bob Gruen author Taylor Markarian singer guitarist Alan Clark author Sean Smith author Ryan Sheeler and Josh Legg of EDM's Gold Room thank each and every one of you for coming on the show I really really appreciate it uh, I had some great times I learned so much um, you know, and, and, and some of these folks have actually become friends uh, and cohorts. Um, it's, it's been a great ride uh, for the last uh, two plus years. I, I, I wasn't sure I would even get here. Um, as you can see from this list, I am all over the place musically. My, my interest in music uh, is as wide and as deep as I can go for you diggers. Um, you know, one week it's uh, pop rock, uh, the next week it's some obscure, strange uh, hole that uh, hasn't been explored in a, in, a, in a long time. Um, you know, I, I take my Monty Python seriously, and, and now for something completely different, right? Um, you know, a wide lens approach to understanding the subject of rock and roll fully. That That's what this is about. Um, along with my companion show, Rock and Roll Archaeology, well, you know, when you think about it, um, actually all the shows on the network are a university-level curriculum of knowledge. Uh, spend a few years with us, diggers, uh, digesting all we have to offer and uh, earn a degree. Um, hey, we might, might need to start a lecture circuit. Actually, there's some 
some live concepts uh, in the works. All right. L- let me also thank all, all who have helped me get here within Pantheon Podcast. Um, you know, uh, first is uh, uh, Peter Ferrioli, my my partner in crime, who does most of the heavy lift booking the guests. Uh, Jerry Danielson, who does run the engineering department. Christy O'Donnell uh, and Leslie Barker, who have been doing the engineering. Uh, Richard Evans, who oversees my writing. Uh, Aaron Alden, who uh, helped uh, book some of the guests, uh, provide a space to record, make connections, all kinds of things. Uh, uh, Also, Daryl Alber, the social media manager who gets the word out to all of you. And of course, uh, my wife, uh, Amy Black, uh, who uh, has afforded me the opportunity to do this and uh, is without doubt our biggest and number one cheerleader. All of you make the trains run on time. Well, uh, we made it to, uh, to 100. Well, 99, this, this is 100. Uh, so <laughs> let's do it. Let's get to building, uh, the show to 1000. <laughs> chance to share another new kid entering the game. Well, he's been at it for a few years now, but he has a new album that is blowing up and uh, we got the chance to speak to him about being called the savior of rock and roll. Uh, Marcus King is just 23 years old and uh, was raised in South Carolina and coming from a a family dedicated to the blues. Uh, Marcus took all of that and then built on it to create um, uh, what I think is a new wrinkle. He takes uh, the blues, uh, a little country western, and blue-eyed soul to get there. Um, He's a student, and that tells me we are just getting started with this kid. Expect a long career with this guy. Oh, and while he gets the big kudos on his guitar playing, which is very much deserved... It is his voice that strikes a chord with me. Um, Sure, I'm a vocalist too, so keen uh, into that. But uh, he has some serious chops going on in those pipes. He can belt it out like a Janice or Otis, and he can bring it silky smooth like an Al Green or Eddie Kendricks. Um, He's a big draw in the jam band circuit, and that's no surprise with his kick-ass band. But uh, now he has a solo effort uh, produced by Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys, and this sounds a a bit different. Uh, It's a little more subdued, and the craftsmanship of the songwriting is really beginning to show. Um, There are some good cuts on this album. Obviously, The Well, which we played at the top here, is a kick-ass out-the-gate song, 
uh, with uh, Say You Will uh, there as well. Uh, Wildflowers and Wine is a, is a personal favorite, and his Beautiful Stranger and Break highlights that softer vocal I'm testifying about. Um, One Day She's Here is a great groover, while Too Much Whiskey uh, reveals Marcus's uh, long-held country and western roots. Um, I can imagine a show with Marcus King is a barn burner, and he has all the elements to uh, tell us a story throughout an entire show. Big openers, kill on the guitar, um, hits the big notes, brings it down, and, uh, you know, full full on fireworks at the end. A must-see. Okay, enough of me and my shit. Uh, For our 100th episode, I give you the rising star... Marcus King. She was surrounded while she was alone. When did my house become less of a home? She was so tired, but her eyes remained open. So much to see, but her words remained unspoken. Weep not for me. For my mind will hold in no peace We'd have carried so much weight Nobody knew till it was too late Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, Marcus King. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So I, I, I know this is a ridiculous question to start with, but, you know, how does it feel to be the savior of rock and roll? <laughs> I don't uh, I don't know about that. I do. I do like playing rock well, and roll, though. Well, may, maybe you, Sturgill Simpson, and Chris Stapleton, it could be the, the you know, the, the, the father, son, and Holy Ghost, huh? <laughs> I'm I'm honored to be uh, <laughs> named along with those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're uh, you're very quickly making a name for yourself uh, out there, and uh, we're excited about that. Uh, you uh, you play a mean guitar, and you uh, you come with a very interesting voice. So uh, we we uh, uh, look forward to uh, all that you have to offer, and we'll get into that here uh, as we go along. So you know, I usually ask about um, music in one's life, but you come from a long line of musicians. Your father and grandfather were pretty well known blues guitarists. So I, I kind of know the answer to that one. But, um, you know, definitely you were born to it. But but since blues was the family tradition, you know, what what I want to know is what was the first record that you found all on your own away from the, the that family tradition? Oh, uh, man, I'll never forget it. I found uh, a copy of Robin Trower, uh, Bridge of Sighs. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I found a second-hand shop, and I thought uh, this was awful interesting, and uh, it sure enough was. So it was the it was the guitar playing that got to you first. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, ever since I I can remember, I was working on something. And my grandfather, the player, and my dad, you know, just like you mentioned, is it was always around, and my grandfather was really. Uh, big into Chuck Berry and Chad Atkins, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the original like rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah, and he played a lot of country and western music, and that's what we listened to. 
And my dad was, you know, uh, more on the Almond Brothers and uh, groups like that. Yeah, and it sounds like you you got a little bit of all of that in uh, in that uh, that gumbo that you're cooking up. <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate you saying that, man. That's how we. That's kind of how we look at it every night. We like to just look at it like a gumbo, and we're just stirring the pot. Yeah, I mean, well, isn't that you know the how music uh, and and most art. Uh, progresses is you know you you take uh, the ingredients from the past uh, sometimes a lot sometimes a little uh, you mix it together in a new way and that that kind of creates a new sound. Uh, yeah, uh, that's what we uh, that's how we kind of feel. You know, we don't we've never really been able to categorize ourselves and we know what to call ourselves. So we're just kind of hoping that if we keep doing our thing that somebody will come up with something catchy. <laughs> the catchy name. I'll I'll go working on that for you uh, here. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there you know, there's elements of uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, kind of starts with the blues, and uh, you know, most of this music that we all love and listen to, you know, starts with the blues. But yeah, there there are elements of R and B. Uh, you know, I hear Otis and Solomon Burke in uh, in what you're doing there. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Almond Brothers, uh, and I think there's a bit of a connection there for you as well. Uh, and um, uh, you know, so you have that Southern rock thing going on. But yeah, there's some some you know elements of country and western. I I, I think uh, you're you're really interested in you know the storytelling uh, aspects of, of country western. That seems to come out in your uh, your song songs as well is is that is that kind of your go-to when you when you sit down to write lyrics man i've never sat down um with a preconceived idea of what kind of song it's going to be you know i kind of allow the, the song to speak for itself mm -hmm. and uh lyrically anyway that's how i approach it you know i just however that song needs to come out is how it's going to be but uh Along with a lot of the storytelling, uh, just like you mentioned, you know, the country and western aspect of it kind of shines through a bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so you start off almost always with a tune, uh, probably plucking away on the guitar, and uh, and then you let it breathe, and then you kind of try to figure out what's what's the song saying to you, and how how the lyrics would fit into that. Is that is that about right? Yeah, I mean, that's one way to put it. You know, it, it's all, it really always varies uh, as far as how I'm writing or what comes first. You know, sometimes the melody may get stuck in my head. Uh, sometimes lyrics just pop in, and I just know I need to write it down because they're, they're such a fleeting moment. I try to always have a notepad around or a guitar around I could use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you, you started playing when you were uh, like uh, five or six, is that right? Or, or maybe even younger than that. But I, I think you, you, you started playing live and out and about about the time you were eight, right? That's right, yeah. So, uh, so this came naturally to you. It was always something I felt that I just needed to do, that I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I never had any, uh, any other thought. This was, this was plan A and there is no plan B. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's spoken like almost every uh, the, the the old school musicians I talk to uh, uh, and ask the question, you know, uh, you know, how did they make it or how do you make it? It uh, it all comes down to well, there's just plan A and there ain't no plan B, so <laughs> it was either that or die. <laughs> I love it, man. 
Exactly. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I find it interesting. You, you, you got signed to Fantasy Records. Uh, you know, we're we're out of San Francisco. You know, that's an that's an old Bay Area company here, uh, noted for giving us uh, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival and uh, quite a few others. Uh, how's that been working for you? Oh man, they're beautiful folks. I really really respect the work that they do, and uh, and and really love the work they've done for me. Good, good, good. Now, your first three albums, Soul Insight, Marcus King Band, and Carolina Confessions, are regarded as a, a band effort, but this new record, El Dorado's a solo album. Can you give us a sense of the difference uh, and why you felt the need to kind of stretch out on your own? Well, the approach was different, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but when our best work, and he likes to have his band, you know, because I think he's just just like me where he feels more comfortable with his band and that's how I've always worked. And, uh, it was kind of an opportunity that I couldn't really pass up, you know, mm. you know, I really wanted to work together and he has kind of a, I don't want to call it a machine, but he's got such a system in place. And it's the reason that we were able to cut 18 songs in three days. Yeah. You know, that's pretty crazy. It's such a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 18 it's just songs such an in three days. Thing. Yeah, was was that start to finish? I mean, mix and everything. Uh, that was uh more than enough songs. It was uh pretty much we'd leave every night in the songs because when we lay them down, they'd have the room dialed in and the tones dialed in so perfectly that it would sound like a finished product. And we'd listen back at the end of the night. Yeah, 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 and so it just moved, like you said, moved along like a machine, huh? Yeah. yeah, you really get an efficient system there. Yeah, yeah, and you're talking about Dan Auerbach, uh, you know, of the Black Keys, and uh, famously been, you know, producing a lot of great artists uh, over the last few years. Uh, and uh, you, uh, you kind of hooked up with him, and I think he kind of reached out to you, right? Yeah, he did. Um, he called me a couple of years ago, and then from that, you know, we get a really good friendship and a, a writing relationship. Mm -hmm. Finally, we did this record together. Yeah, and and as you said, uh, you know, uh, uh, stepping away from the band, he liked using some of the folks that uh, that he was familiar with, and some of these guys are old timers with uh, some rather legendary resumes, huh? Man, it's a it's a, it's astounding, you know, the amount of records that these guys have played on. You got Gene Chrisman and Bobby Woods; they were in the Memphis Boys. And they played on uh, the Dusty Springfield "Son of a Preacher Man," yeah. and they played on uh, uh, "Suspicious Minds" with Elvis Presley. They had a quite a catalog behind them. We had Billy Sanford playing guitar, and his most notable effort was uh, he wrote a riff from "Pretty Woman." So he uh, <laughs> he offered quite a bit of that's uh, rather fun stories. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, oh. they were all like 80, 80 years old, and that they're so spry and I, I couldn't keep up with them you know well uh you know i uh, what are you 23 now some somehow i yeah. think when you're 88 you're going to be just like him i hope, I don't <laughs> hope. yeah so you know what what did you get working with uh dan auerbach that you you might have been missing with the the previous efforts well i think there's a really fine uh attention to uh, the production value of the record mm -hmm. And uh, and the way that we approached it uh, vocally was also a lot different than I'd had in the past. 
I was always kind of accustomed to singing as loudly as possible because I always had a lot of things to combat, you know, whether it be a loud bar or be an inadequate PA system and a loud band. <laughs> it was all these things. I, I just felt like I needed to belt yeah, at all Get times. over the top of everything, right, right. I know yeah, if you wanted to be heard. So that's how my singing style was formed. And this time in the studio, you know, I was tired. We were recording a song called Break, and I just kind of whispered it almost in a falsetto. Uh And then that became kind of the, uh, that's how we wanted to do everything. Because it just gave a really subtle, uh, and uh, it really let the songs come across as sincere as we hoped they would, in my opinion. Yeah, so so what this did was, um, if I understand you right, is it allowed you to breathe a little bit uh, and get better connected to your voice. It was a softer approach, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was meant to kind of invite people in, you know, because I've always, in my my approach has always been more of a Janis Joplin or a Luther Vandross. Just uh, you know, belt, it, belt it as, as as big and bad and bad <laughs> as you can. Well, just like you know, really getting people's attention. You know, this this record is meant to be a little more uh, charming, I suppose, and, and pull people in that way. Uh, at the risk of sounding, you know, any type of way, I just uh, we wanted a softer approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's got some up tempo uh, songs on it still. Uh, you know, I I, I know you were uh, you know your big hit in the jam band uh, scene over the last few years, and you know, yeah, that's uh, you know you know getting everybody to move their feet. And there's certainly some uh, some uh, quieter uh, moments uh, on this uh, on this album. In fact, I think uh, uh, the the record has a lot of, of personal songs uh, on it, maybe more so than in previous uh, recordings, right? Well, I had I had the great uh, opportunity to have these these co-writers at uh, at our disposal. Man, they were they were helping me write this record, and I was basically bringing in song ideas, uh, bringing in lyrics that I hadn't really felt comfortable writing yet, because I didn't feel established or uh, comfortable enough as a writer to fully get these points across and the things I was trying to say, and with their help. Because uh, they're just really just architects, man, and they helped me really build a strong foundation of uh, what the album would become, and helped me really say these things uh, as though I felt they needed to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you and you really dove deep into your life in the in the songs. Can can you give us an example of one of the tunes and and what the genesis of the song uh, was? I, I know you. You, you you talk a little bit about uh, mental health on on, on some and uh, uh, I, I, am I am I right to, that I read that you, you you lost your first love to a car accident uh, when you were a kid? Yeah, I was thirteen and uh, she was thirteen. As the first girl that I ever really I cared for, mm-hmm. uh, this girl in my class, we were dear friends. She was a really special person. And she passed. And then after that, you know, there was a multitude of other things that really reminded me how important music is and how important it is to not repress those emotions, but to get them out in any outward way. And for me, it's music. And, uh, you know, in the 
years that followed that was me kind of realizing that my music stood a chance to help other people, you know, because people like me, I choose to create. And, and some people like to listen to music when they're feeling down. I mean, hell, I'm, I'm like that too. Music can help you get through things. And uh, it, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm doing something a lot larger than myself. And music uh, really is a healing property. So uh, it helped me. And on this record, you know, I, I try to be as sincere as possible. And it's the only way I know how to create is to, is to be vulnerable and uh, transparent. Well, that's definitely coming across on uh, on the record. Uh, you can hear that, uh, and uh, I, I don't think that's too different than some of the the previous uh, efforts uh, out there. All, although maybe a little brasher and a little bolder, you know. I I, I think you're, you're you're kind of an internal uh, thought guy. Uh, maybe maybe even a little a little introverted, and this allows you to like explode out of yourself, wouldn't you say? I think that's a great way to put it, man. You know, I'm, I've always been pretty to myself and uh, introverted, like you said. But um, throw a, throw a, a throw a Gibson three thirty five in your hand and put you on stage, and uh, a wild man comes out. <laughs> it's a it's a different it's a different feeling, man. I'm, I'm much more comfortable there than I am anywhere else. Uh, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It. Uh, for some reason, it uh, it allows uh, some form of freedom that's kind of hard to explain to people, uh, you know. But uh, you know, it, it it at the same time, it's it's creating this connection and uh, and feedback uh, with the audience, both uh, both on record and and certainly live, right? Yeah, you know, that's all we can really hope for is to uh, to resonate with the audiences and uh, people are listening to what we have to say, and it's a it's just a blessing to be able to do it. Yeah, yeah. So does it does it feel different out on the road with this album? I, I, I'm I'm guessing the crowds are getting a little bigger, and obviously the press is paying more attention. Is that feeling okay to you? Man, it's feeling great. You know, I mean, we're just I'm personally just really happy. I've uh, I just try to stay as true to myself, and you know, I feel like people are starting to pick up on it, and uh, I just feel so blessed to be able to do that and i'm just doing what i love you know and people are starting to pay attention and uh yeah, i feel really really good about it yeah you know it sounded like you know you you you've been on a lot of legendary stage stages in fact i think you just played the fillmore here a couple of days ago in san francisco um but i can bet the one that sticks out most to you is the grand old opera is that did that sound about right yeah that was uh that was incredible um, I just, uh, my grandfather, like I said, was a country and Western performer. And his goal was always to, you know, play the Opry stage, yeah, play the Ryman, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he was, uh, he was, he never you know, got to, huh? No, I didn't. So I did that one for him. Is he still around? Yeah, he passed when I was about 14. Oh, man, that's too bad. I'm sure he would have loved to have seen that. Uh, I thought that he was there with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm, that I'm sure. I'm sure. So, uh, you know, I mean, you're you're growing so quickly. When when are you going to be headlining Madison Square Garden? <laughs> um, well, I know we'll we'll be there for the first time uh, later this year uh, with, with Chris Stapleton. That's right. You're go you're going on the road, with Chris Stapleton, right? 
Yeah, so that that'll be our first time playing there, but uh uh headlining I think that may take a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still still you get to you get to stand in there, uh that hollowed hall. Uh that's that's pretty cool. That'll be fun for you guys. Man, talk about is, is it just the two of you or is there anybody else on that bill? Uh I wanna say that Yolo will be playing first to three on that gig. Wow. What a what a show. What a show. I I might have to figure out a way to get to New York City for that one. So, hey, I want to I I want to talk a little bit about your equipment for our gearheads out there. So, I I think you're you're using a Gibson ES345 into a, an English Orange amp, right? Uh yeah. So the the Orange amp that I'm using is uh actually a, a design that was made here in America. Um and, and it was designed down in Atlanta because I, I kind of gave them some notes. I said, I want a little closer to Fender circuitry with 6L6 tubes in it. And uh, I just want a really simple build, you know, volume-based treble. And uh, they obliged, man. It was a, it's a great sounding head. And I'm also running that stereo with a, a Fender Super Weaver. Oh, you are with a, a Fender uh, Super, okay, on the other side. So, uh, what what drew you to the to the Orange Amp? It's kind of unusual to see that uh, uh, these days. Um, well, I mean, we, when we started touring overseas, a lot I was using uh, some boutique amps here, mm-hmm. and um, we, you know, it was a small uh, company, and um, we'd always have to send it back to the small town and. It's uh, to get repeated. just really hard to yeah yeah you know when we went overseas we just always used orange because they had they'd been wanting to work with us for a while and uh, finally I, I we were over there for a while and I got used to them and uh, now the the uh, convenience factor of knowing if if one gives out you know there's a backline company or they'll send us another one. Right, right. Oh, yeah. So that makes it easier. So, so it was it was a a, a practical reason uh, more so than a sonic reason. Although you worked with them to in, eventually to to have them build exactly what you wanted. Yeah, and uh, they worked really closely with me on that, and uh, we uh, came up with a really great build that I'm proud of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It creates a you know along with that uh, that semi hollow body, it creates a a, a great tone uh, out there. And I think your your Gibson is an ES three forty five, and and I understand that uh, that's got a special story to it. Yeah, uh, it was my grandfather's, and one I'm using right now is the replica that Gibson made with me, and uh, they they really you know, Jim Willard at Gibson. Uh, this is before uh, the Memphis plant uh, uh, ceased to be there. And I left it with Jim, Jim Willard for a couple of weeks. And he really just got to know this guitar and, and made a really, really ace uh, replica. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so it's a replica of your grandfather's guitar. Uh, but you, I think you did get your grandfather. It was lost and, it, and, it, and, and somebody got it back for you? Um. But uh, so there's stories there within that. So um, my grandfather's guitar has always been in the family. It's, it's never gone missing. But uh, there was a guitar that was close to me as a kid, and uh, it was given to someone else in the family. And I just assumed that it was gone forever. You know, yeah. I never thought I'd see it again. 
and my father never realized how important that guitar was to me. And it's just, it's just the first memory I have of an instrument that was this guitar. And they, they reclaimed it for me and they got it. And it was a housewarming gift. And it was an episode El Dorado. And uh, being reconnected with that guitar was partially what led me to naming uh, my album, album El Dorado. El Dorado. Okay. All right. That, so that's what that, I was going to ask. Where where did the name come from? Well, now we know came from the guitar very cool very cool now yeah now uh, you know everybody talks about your guitar skills and uh uh, to me it's you just you got this great voice uh you know you can as you said especially in the earlier albums uh you know belt the shit out of it uh all uh janice or, or otis or somebody like that and and now you've got this sweet falsetto you know i'd say you were born with the voice of a 55 year old black gentleman that's uh, seen far too much and uh, just needs to cry about it at the nearest crossroads <laughs> that's very that's very kind of you man i uh I think a lot of it is attributed to uh, when I was a kid. I, I took a long time, uh, not a long time, but I, I made a concerted effort to listen to less guitar players. Because what I saw happening, you know, from an early age was I saw a lot of a lot of cats kind of becoming just watered-down versions of their favorite players, you know. Oh. And uh, things were starting to become a little diluted to my ears. And I didn't want that for my playing, so I decided... I want to catch inspiration from other places. And so what I'd listen to was like Janis Joplin or James Brown and Otis Redding, like you mentioned. And uh, I'd listen to these cats, like Sam Cooke, and listen to their phrasing vocally. Um, and James Dewar became a big part of that too, the bass player and singer for Robin Trower. And I'd listen to all these cats. And, and then when I started singing, you know, that's kind of how I approached it because that's what I knew. And that's where I'd, uh, garnered a lot of inspiration from uh, just phrasing the for guitar. And, you know, it kind of internally, when I started singing, it came out that way, or as close as I could get. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, a, f- a very famous engineer, Shelly Yakis, once said to me, he goes, if, if you, if you want to know how to make it in this business, go and find out who your heroes' heroes are. Uh, Marcus, not only have you found out who your heroes' heroes are, but at your age, you're you're finding out who your heroes' heroes' heroes are. Uh, so that's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> it, so it's important to go all the way back. It yeah. is, it is, and and you know, and, and and you know, you you're you're young enough that you know you can get on the internet and find all that stuff pretty easily, uh, and uh, begin to connect the dots and and find uh, you know what where the the trail leads to the to the the next guy and the next guy and the guy after that. Uh, and I, I'm sure you spend a lot of time uh, researching, uh, you know, this uh, this this blues guitar uh, uh, craft that uh, you know is now uh, about a hundred years old. Yeah, man. I mean, it's so how, how crazy is that? I mean, a hundred years is not a very long time. You know, it's really not, and uh, it's just it's incredible to trace back the lineage all the way back to Sunhouse and. All the cats that were really laying it down, book of white. It's just a it's a blessing to to have this uh technology as a, at our disposal to be able to look back and, and see what was happening. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's it's great to see uh, you know, a young kid like you uh, you know, go to that well 
and and then find something new because uh, that's the hard thing today uh you know sonically especially uh you know you know we we, we we've been doing this rock and roll thing for 60 years now and uh you know uh, you know, at the beginning, you know, it was easy to impress some somebody with, uh, you know, like those four guys from Liverpool to put a sitar into a song, you know, but uh, you can't do that anymore. It's uh, it's kind of hard. And especially with, you know, acoustic or you know, electrified acoustic instruments like an electric guitar versus the computer. So I, I, I tip my hat to you to to be able to find, you know, between your voice and your guitar playing uh, this kind of really interesting, cool sound i mean you know when i started listening to you uh you know i, I immediately uh started humming your tunes so you you must be doing something right <laughs> oh man i appreciate that uh, we uh we just like to play that's yeah, about as that's simple it. as i can put it yeah every day all right so so okay you know where do you see yourself when you get to be the uh, said 55 year old marcus king <laughs> hopefully uh just relaxed and uh, still playing, you know. Out, out, out there, me. like maybe out, still out there, like uh, Buddy Guy or hell, even BB King, who uh, you know played until just a couple of weeks before he went went to, to the other side, huh? Yeah, I mean that's the that's the beauty of it, man. It's a lot of this can be hard work, but one aspect of it, the actual performance side of it, is the part that you love. And I guess the whole work ethic behind it right now is. We're really, really grinding it out right now, and we're on the road, you know, over 215 days a year, and we we do that because when we get older and we're all gray-headed, you know, we <laughs> want to be able to tour as comfortably as possible. Yeah. And uh, the touring, you know, uh, it's it's not ethical to play less than five or six days a week, you know, because you get this massive bus to pay for. There's an extreme amount of overhead. But the idea is to look hard now and later, you know, we just have to worry about playing and whether it be just one show <laughs> every now and then. Yeah, follow, I just, follow, I just like follow what uh, the, the Rolling Stones do. Uh, they just announced their uh, their their latest American leg of their, uh, of their tour, and the shows are every four days. So <laughs> that's what you have to look forward but, to when you get close to 80. It takes a couple of days in between to uh, recharge. That's a prime example of what I'm talking about. And, <laughs> well, you know, you, I'm sorry. Yeah, right now we have the energy to do yeah. it, so we're yeah. going to keep doing it until we can. You do. You do. You do. Well, uh, Marcus King, man, we, we wish you uh, the utmost uh, success and uh, lots of respect towards you. Thanks so much for being with us on Deeper Digs and Rock today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
Big, big thanks, Marcus. A real pleasure having you on the show uh, and to make it number 100. Uh, now, you guys tell me that kid doesn't have an old soul. He is something special, Diggers. Keep a close eye on him. Uh, and if he is near your town, <laughs> go see him. Uh, at least go out and get El Dorado, the first solo album by Marcus King. And of course, find all the Marcus King band tracks all available wherever you get your uh, tunes. Okay, so um, thought of the week is that maybe there is some life after all. Not not bad for episode 100. Um, you know, see The Who, which we spoke to, uh, now uh, Marcus, uh, and up-and-coming rockers in a show that you'll, you'll hear in a few weeks um, uh, from a duo called Bones UK, are maybe giving me hope that uh, rock and roll just might be making another comeback. Yeah, it's coming back from the dead like a fucking zombie. Uh, well, will it be enough <laughs> to make the Billboard pop charts and become something worth talking about uh, to the casual listener? I, I don't know. Um, but it sure seems like something very cool is bubbling just beneath the surface. Just when you think rock is dead, it seems to show at least a little life and actually has returned bigger than ever in the past. I'd uh, I'd be really surprised if in the next few years we are talking about some new golden age of rock and roll. But I do think it may be more interesting today than it has been for, for a long while. And I think it all starts with the fact that uh, we are living in an age where the live experience is something far more uh, than one finds on the record. Um, it is certainly here where rock can exceed some of its competition. Uh, if you want to see something that is ballsy, big, and authentic, I'm not sure other music forms can beat the rock and roll experience. You know, sure, pop princesses with their huge tours and dances and all that special effects are, you know, pretty spectacular, but rather soulless. Uh, Hip-hop is street level um, and uh, full of authenticity in, uh, with the right, uh, the right performers. Um, but, you know, one guy on a mic with a DJ, um, it doesn't seem to work real well when you scale up to bigger arenas. Um, but getting three, four, five or more highly trained musicians on stage working together is a sight to be seen and a sound to be heard. Uh, it still rattles your bone and punches you in the gut, especially if the artists up there are authentic and really trying to do something different. You can't beat it. Um, it's still the most democratized music around. Anyone can do it with about three chords and you can go from there. Uh, Marcus King has all of that in spades. Uh, okay, happy 100th episode to me. Uh, we will get back to regularly scheduled programming next week. Uh, please come on back and help me get to episode 1000. Until then, as always, for 100 now, keep up the rocking. Wildflowers and wild. Old scratchy record plays in the background of our lives. We're still here dancing after all this time. Wildflowers and wine. 
Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.